Brother Mike's going to come and preach for us this evening, but before he does, I didn't want him to have to introduce the idea. You see the table out there. He has taken to writing books, and when I say he's taken to writing books, I mean he has seriously taken to writing books. He gave me a list probably six or eight months ago and said, I really would like to get these books somehow into print. And he had the first two that are out there already off to publishers, but it had taken a little bit of time. And so we talked about it for a while, and there are four in process right now, five in process right now. We have two young ladies in our church who are professional writing majors. Uh, The young lady that does all of the design work for the church, uh, she also, her specialty is doing book covers. And so the ones after these two that are starting to come out are all actually produced in-house, every single bit of it. So uh, I'll let him say a little bit more about that this evening. Brother Mike, come and preach for us and then also tell us about that. All right, thank you, Pastor. I can't golf any longer, and so writing books seemed like a good good option for me. Uh, Having lost some mobility and... uh, I've fallen in love, really, with with writing. I've, uh, for many years, been pretty detailed at uh, maintaining my study and research library. I've got a thought tank on my computer that is rich with uh, original writings and and so on. So um, earlier this year, I thought, I'm going to start to get some of this published and uh, got the two books that are out there uh, published through Christian Faith Publishing. And pastor informed me that we had some in-house resources, and so uh, just yesterday we uploaded to Amazon and Ingram Spark a book called The Vivid Colors of the Wounds of War, which relates some of my uh, Vietnam experience. Uh, we are uploading tomorrow a book with a lot of cynicism in it about the upcoming election and our culture called It's the Cities, Stupid. And uh, I think that has a potential to be a really entertaining but impactful book as well. And then several others that will be following here shortly. And so uh, if you want to make yourself available to those, you're, you're certainly welcome uh, we have a, a price tag on them, but if that's a problem for you, you just let me know, and we'll make sure that you can get some. Uh, the, every book that I'm writing is written with one single purpose, and that is to get the gospel of Jesus Christ to the world. Uh, every book. I, I actually have 38 books in process right now. Uh, that's a lot, I know, but when, you, when you've got the resource I have, it's not that overwhelming to think that we'll be able to accomplish this by the grace of God. Uh, Pray for my wife. She's home in bed sick. We traveled uh, this week. My son's wife's father passed away, and so Wednesday afternoon and evening we drove up to central Illinois, uh, got together with the family that night, Thursday morning, and into the early afternoon, a funeral, then drove back south of Indy, Thursday night, and then to the play with the senior group on Friday in Louisville, and I think she just got worn out, and uh, we've already been battling the bronchial thing that everybody else has been battling, and so so she's sick. One of the blessings of our trip for me 
Uh, Jill is my, my uh, son's wife's name, and her dad was a faithful, faithful man for many, many years, a Christian farmer. And uh, we met them first, and Mick met his wife when we were going to Calvary Baptist Church in Normal, Illinois. And my wife joined that church in the fall of 1979. Uh, and immediately, the pastor took my name to the men's prayer breakfast that met every Saturday morning there at Calvary and asked for them to start praying for my salvation. And Lowell Hoffman, Jill's dad, was one of the men that was in that prayer breakfast. And I got saved in January of that, that next year. But at the funeral, I got to reacquaint myself with eight men from that group who prayed for me to be saved. And that's 43, almost 44 years ago. That was just an overwhelming blessing for me. So... Anyway, you probably came to hear the Word of God, so let's do some of that, all right? Uh, How about if we open our Bibles tonight to Romans chapter 15? Some of you have heard me say that before. Romans chapter 15, and we're going to look at that passage here in just a moment. But I thought uh, this is kind of an adult Sunday school or... Bible study time, and I'd been praying about what to share for a long time, and uh, the Bible's full of good stuff to share. There's a lot of stuff in there. But this, uh, this fall, I've been discipling a young man who is absorbing the Word of God like a sponge. Not a scrub daddy, I mean a big sponge. Uh, and also attending a Bible study on Monday nights with uh, some young men who are just really hungry for the Bible. And we've, we've talked about a lot of practical Christianity in these studies. And uh, I'll tell you, I'm, I'm really enjoying it. So I thought, I think I'm going to share some tips for personal Bible study that I've learned along my journey. And I think that might be a help and a blessing to a lot of folks. Uh, but I want to begin with, with this story. Many of you in here know Marty and Judy Wilbur. Uh, although some may not know him, we would probably not be meeting in this building on this piece of property if it weren't for the faithfulness of Marty and Judy. And uh, I'm not going to say any more than that uh, but we probably wouldn't be here. They reside in Ashton Grove, an independent uh, and assisted living uh, and memory care facility just on the south edge of Georgetown here. And they've been there, wow, it's hard to believe, two years now. Just amazing. And by the way, I would highly recommend that place for those who have the ability to to afford to live there. It's, they've done a wonderful job. I've witnessed it firsthand for two years, and I'm aware in that industry there can be some real problems. 
but uh, they do a wonderful job. Marty is declining in his dementia very rapidly, and that comes from the medical people there that minister to him, uh, that statement. Judy, although living uh, separate from Marty, she's not in the memory care unit, she has a, an apartment of her own, she sees Marty nearly every day. Cognitively, uh, she's of a sound mind and ornery as ever. Uh, oh, yeah, that was in my notes, I guess. Uh, but really, she's doing very well as, when it comes to her, her mental uh, fitness. Her physical body is greatly limited. She's lost the use of a leg, and her balance is poor, which I can relate to, and I empathize with her a lot. Uh, she has a constant battle, a mental battle, uh, of living in an assisted living facility. And I think I would have that same battle with a good mind and a broken body. It's, you'd rather be out in the community like everybody else, somewhat free to roam and do the things that you wanted to do. And so she would acknowledge, I think, a great deal of frustration if you gave her the opportunity to testify in here tonight. Uh, but she would also recognize the providence of God. And that's what this story is about. It's an event that happened at that facility just a little over a month ago now while Judy and I were visiting with Marty. Uh, we had gone into the memory care unit, and uh, Marty had struggled that morning with some uh, continency issues, and so the nurse said, just a minute, I'll have him cleaned up and sit out here in this alcove, and he'll be out in a minute. So we sat down, and uh, Judy and I were both in our electric carts, and there were two chairs there, and pretty soon Marty came out, and he sat down in one of the chairs, and one of the things that he loves for me to do when I go there is to play some Christian music. It lights him right up. It uh, must take him back in his mind to a happy place. And then uh, I started reading, and as I recall, I was reading from John chapter 14, and I had noticed a little girl had come down the hallway, and she sat in the only other chair that was there, and she was reading a little storybook that a 10-year-old would, would read. And so as I read to Marty, and Marty was reacting, and I noticed that she stopped looking at her book. And in a few minutes, she said to, to me, what is that book that you are reading from? And I said, well, it's the Bible. I said, do you know what the Bible is? She said, no, I don't. And I said, well, would you like to read from the Bible? Yeah, she said, I really would. So she came over to my cart, and I quickly flipped my Bible to John chapter 3. And I said, here, start reading right here. and Read out loud so Marty can hear you. So she read John 3, 16, 17, and 18, kind of stumbled through it, and uh, we acknowledged her. And then I said, well, let me tell you what that means. And right there we got to share the gospel with this little girl. And Judy was sitting there wide-eyed and like, now I understand why I'm here. You know, sometimes uh, difficult situations in life, we just don't understand why they happen. And there, 
in that moment, I think Judy's life was changed. I think her whole attitude about being in an assisted living facility changed dramatically. And it was a, a wonderful thing to see. But after we left there, and I left Judy, I, I started to wonder how many kids in our community would say, Santa Claus I know, the Easter Bunny I know, but who is this God? I wonder sometimes how many of our own church kids put Santa Claus, the Easter Bunny, and God in the same category in their mind that might be labeled fictitious characters we've never really met. You ever wonder that? You ever encounter kids that just seem so uninformed that you know they need Christ? Well, as, as many of you probably know, when I preach from the Old Testament, if I'm preaching from the Old Testament, I usually begin with Romans 15, verse 4. I wonder if you could even quote it with me. For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning that we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. What Paul was saying there to the believers in Rome is those things that were written aforetime, written aforetime to them would have been what? The Old Testament. He was saying those things that were written in the Old Testament way back then that we can read about today, those things that were written in the Old Testament were written for our learning today. That we today, through comfort and patience of the scriptures, might have hope. That hope is that hope of eternal salvation in Jesus Christ. So I thought, rather than introduce an Old Testament passage, how about if we just look at the context tonight of Romans chapter 15, where we find that verse. So look with me, if you would, in Romans 15, beginning in verse number 1, and we'll read the verse, read, read actually six verses here, and understand the context. He says, We then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak and not please ourselves. Let every one of us please his neighbor for his good to edification. For even Christ pleased not himself, but as it is written... The reproaches of them that reproached thee fell on me. For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. Now the God of patience and consolation grants you to be like-minded one toward another according to Christ Jesus, that ye may with one mind and mouth glorify God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray together, shall we? Lord, we love you tonight. We're just grateful to be here and able to teach and preach the Bible, have the freedom and liberty to give out the truth. We love you, Lord. We want you to speak to us tonight. I pray this would be a time of encouragement and strengthening for God's people. And we'll thank you for it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, one of the things I do in my Bible study is uh, I, I like to 
dig into the etymology of the scriptures. What what do the words come from and what, what do they mean? So probably my most used Bible tool is Strong's Concordance, which I have on my computer in the Blue Letter Bible program. If you don't have that, I would encourage you to get it. Blue, Blue Letter Bible, and it's just loaded with tools, and it's free. So there you go. So not a free lunch this week, but you can get Bible tools for free. How about that? Well, in Strong's Concordance, when I looked up this passage, they had given it a heading or a title. And it said this, self-denial on behalf of others. And right there I thought, you know, this is, this is something I've been doing frequently in my Bible studies, and I, I thought maybe it would be a good thing to mention it, would be when you read or study a passage, if you can kind of name it as though it were a chapter in a book or a part of your story that you want to write, uh, that's going to help you to understand what the lesson is about. So I want to ask you for some help tonight. We've just read the passage, Romans chapter 15. Uh, Strong says it's self-denial on behalf of others. What name would you give it? These six little verses. Help me out here. Come on. Interaction tonight. What name would you give it? What is that? Empathy or compassion. All right, good. Unity. All right, good. Hmm. It's a hard, harder exercise than I thought, I guess. Well, what you're doing is you're rereading it, right? And that was the point that I wanted to make. Because I asked you to put a title on there, just listening to me read it, you didn't pay as much attention as now you're trying to pay by going back in there and saying, how would I title this thing? What would I call this passage? How to Serve Others. Yeah, that would be a good title. Or Christ's Example of Service. Ah, That would be a good title too. So there's the first tip of Bible study that I can offer you tonight. When you read a passage of Scripture, read it like you're, you're going to put a title on that portion. And it will help you to concentrate on what the author is saying. And, and if you can concentrate on that, really what's happening is you're concentrating on what God is trying to tell you. That's a pretty good tip, I think. Here's a second tip. This is pretty common, I think, that pretty commonly taught. As you approach your reading, whatever reading you're doing that day in the scriptures, whether it's your reading or your study, ask yourself some questions. And let me give you just a few examples. I'm about to read a passage, and I ask myself, what can I learn to do, and what can I learn not to do? from this passage that's a good tip because the Bible is trying to change us it's trying to conform us to the image of Christ 
And in doing so, he's trying to influence our behavior a particular way. So what, what should I do and what should I not do? Uh, in Ephesians chapter 4, Paul writes about the process of change and sanctification is like this. We put off the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts. That is, we put away things we shouldn't be doing. And we get renewed in the spirit of our mind. That is, we get our attitude and our understanding renovated, is the idea there, so that it lines up with the truth of God's word. And then we put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. So God tells us, get rid of some of this, get lined up with what I'm telling you, and start doing it. You know what? If you go to the scriptures with that understanding at the forefront of your mind, I'll guarantee you that passage you study or read is going to be more meaningful to you. Here's a second question. Is there a command here for me to obey? Uh, We know some of the commands, right? Children, obey your parents and the Lord, right? I wonder if there's any commands in there for us adults. Oh, I think there are. I won't go to meddling because I've got a lot more to say. But the point I want to make is there might be a command in Scripture that that you need to heed. And if you're looking for it, it might be easier for you to see it and do it. And then thirdly, is there a principle to embrace or apply? Sometimes we read about what people did in the Old Testament and in our mind immediately think, well, that was way back then. Or that was a different culture. That was a different time. Well, was there a Bible principle there that we can learn from? I wrote this little sentence down so I wouldn't forget it. The ways of God that are for all generations, are often given to us in principle form. We understand the principle, then make application within our own life context. That's really why Bible principles are important for us to learn. Uh, You know, I might not ride a camel or put my hair up, my old hair up in a turban, uh, But you know what? Some of the principles that those people had to live by because God had established his his judgments and his ways, uh, they apply to me today too. And if I follow the principles that he established, that means I'm, I'm operating the way the creator intended me to operate. That's a pretty good tip, I think. As you approach reading or study, ask yourself some questions. Don't just get in the Bible and say, well, I've got to read this chapter today and part of this one. Boom, 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 boom. You read right through it and you walk away and what did you get? Nothing. Here's a third tip. Don't just read the passage. Carefully consider each thought. Carefully consider each thought. And I want to walk through Romans 15 again, the passage that we already read. And I'm going to insert some thought, some comment to demonstrate what I mean. And there probably will be things that you would add even beyond this. I'm sure there are. But let's begin in verse 1. Paul says, We then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak and not to please ourselves. 
So here's a couple of thoughts here. Strive to please is the idea of pleasing there. It's talking about an intentional effort to, here's the word, serve. Intentionally. Actively, not passively, actively serve who? Well, he's going to tell us here in a minute. Also in that verse, notice the contrast in behaviors. Don't be selfish. Rather, be a servant. Now, after reading that and understanding that, I ask myself this question. How would, your, how would you grade your life based on this thought? If, if you were getting a letter grade for service over selfishness, what grade would you give yourself? Ooh, that might be a challenge. How about if we grade on the curve? Eh, wouldn't that be good? <laughs> well, he keeps on going here in verse 2. Let every one of us stop right there. We all have a choice in how we behave. That's what he That's you know, that seems rather simple the way he says this. Let every one of us. You know what? God gave us all a free will, didn't he? And so being a servant is a choice. I can choose to do it, or I can choose not to do it. But now I know what the Creator wants me to do. Because he's telling me right here. So he says, let, it, let every one of us please his neighbor. All right. The question is asked in the Bible by some people. Who is my neighbor? Well, who is the neighbor he's talking about here? Any idea? Who would take a random guess? Don't want to be humiliated. I know. It's tough. Fellow church members. Fellow church members? Yeah, they would be included. But when I went to my Strong's Concordance and looked at the word, the Greek word that is translated neighbor here, it's this. Any other person. Hmm. Doesn't just have to be Christian people. It's everybody. So let every one of us, because we have a choice, Please his neighbor, that is, everybody else that we come in contact with, for his good. That word good means benefit, for their benefit. To edification, to their benefit, so it builds them up or it promotes growth. And that would be particularly true of believers. I mean, that's one of our fellowship responsibilities is to admonish one another to encourage each other in what in christian growth in our service for god well how can we do that well i got a couple of uh, contrasting ways here that could either build up or tear somebody down see what you think how about through criticism or encouragement hmm that's pretty obvious, isn't it? Or how about this? 
I could gossip about them with others or admonish them to their face for their benefit. Oof. Salt in the wound right there, right? Well, these examples, here's the point I want to make. These examples can really expose the motives of your own heart. When when you answer questions like that, it exposes your own heart. Somebody says, listen to your heart. Listen to what your heart's telling you. He's talking about your inner man or your conscience. And sometimes when we learn the simplest of verses that are kind of contrary to our normal behavior, it really exposes what's in our heart. And you know who knows what's in our heart? And he's weighing everything we do about it. It's God. Well, verse 3, he says, For, there's a transition word here, For even Christ pleased not himself, but as it is written, all right, where? Where is this written? In the Bible. He's quoting Psalm 69, verse 9 here. So whatsoever things were written aforetime, he's quoting here. So what he's saying, Roman believers, we, we can learn that Christ pleased not himself. And when we look back at, at Psalm 69, we're going to learn something else. David was under persecution and reproach, and he was crying out to the Lord the reproaches or the defamation of others, the reproaches of them that reproach thee fell on me. David was discouraged because he was being persecuted and reproached. Well, what can you and I learn from that? They persecuted David. They persecuted Jesus. But they're going to love us. (laughs) Right? No. No, that's not the case. Look, they hated God, and so they hated God's man, David. They hated Jesus, and they will hate the followers of Jesus. We can know this by what the scriptures are teaching us. And when we know this, and it happens, it won't be a discouragement to us. It'll be confirming or giving us evidence that something wonderful has taken place in our life. We have become a child of God. Wow, I never looked at it that way. Well, you can. Just depends on what your approach to Bible study is like. Verse 4. He says, For whatsoever things were written aforetime. Already explained this verse. The whole Bible for us was the Old Testament for the Romans. The whole Bible for us was written for our learning today that we today, through patience, that That's talking about our patience, our steadfastness, our endurance, and comfort. That is the comfort or consolation that the scriptures afford us might have hope. And that's that's not talking about a I wonder kind of hope. It's talking about I know. I don't have to wonder. I know. And the scripture is what tells me and gives me that comfort. Verse 5, 
Now the God of patience and consolation, notice there, the source of patience and consolation is, is who? God. He says, now the God of patience and consolation grant you to be like-minded one toward another according to Christ Jesus. Oh, notice the battleground here. Like-minded. Do you know where the battle is? Sure, you know where it is, don't you? I know where mine is. It's right up there, the battle of the mind. The soul is our intellect, emotions, and our will. That's where the battlefield is. And he tells us here that through God's patience and comfort, he helps us to be like-minded one toward another according to Christ Jesus. When, When we line up with the truth and our mind is fixed on the truth, that's when we experience that patience and consolation. And then verse 6, he says that ye may with one mind and mouth glorify God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The outcome or practices of applying the verses of Scripture to my life are this, I glorify God. That's, That's the whole point. Our life, as Pastor so eloquently preached this morning, is about glorifying God. We need to have a mind that is constantly connecting the dots of truth with the dots of experience in life. And the picture that will emerge from our dot-to-dot exercise is this. It builds our faith, our hope, our trust, our courage, our ability to obey. We no longer have to wonder in our imagination. Because we know in our heart. I was thinking this afternoon before I knew what I was preaching this tonight. I thought, you know, for 31 years, I was 31 when I got saved, I was learning to hate God and be selfish. Think about that. All the time that I was without Christ, I was the enemy of God. And so many people that we drive by or walk by every day are in that same condition. Enemies of God. Well, here's another tip. Before you start reading a passage, remind yourself who the main character is. It's God. When we look Back to the Old Testament stories, we can learn the ways of God and the works of God, and that will help us recognize the ways and works of God in our life today because God is still working and he has not changed. But I thought, here's a little exercise to kind of challenge each one of us. I wonder, how many of you have either taught a Sunday school class or some children's class or even stories to your own kids, how many of you have ever taught the story of Noah's Ark? Come on, get them up there. Lots of you, okay? 
Who did you have as the main character in that story? Hmm, and why? Most of the time it's Noah, right? How about the story of David and Goliath? Who's the main character there? Hmm, interesting. How about the story of Joseph in his coat of many colors? Who's the main character there? It's God in every one of those stories. It's God. Look, look, those stories are not in the Bible because God wanted to make those men famous. Those stories are in the Bible because God wants to be famous. Did you ever consider that? You know what? If we're looking at the main character in the passage we're studying, it's going to make a big difference at what you see. These stories are about human beings just like us. But they are stories about how God worked in their lives and in the circumstances that they were enduring. That's why they're in the Bible. God wants us to know him, not them. Him. Here's another tip. Recognize and acknowledge the work of God in the passages that you're reading. Let's do another little exercise. You might say, Brother Duffy, did you think you were going to be teaching this to kids? Well, yeah, kind of. There's a little kid in all of us, isn't there? Right, Edward? I saw that grin on your face. All right, here's a little exercise for us. Did you know that it will get dark tonight? I guess most of us knew that on the way to church, right? Well, why do we believe this? It's because we've seen it happen. Night after night after night, it happens. Well, how often do we ascribe that as the work of God? Hmm, that's interesting. Well, Genesis 1, beginning in verse 1, says, In the beginning God created the heaven and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. And God saw the light, that it was good. And God divided the light from the darkness. And God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. Hey, this was his doing. The evening and the morning were the first day. That's God's work. Oh, I didn't I never thought of it that way. That's the point. We just don't recognize and acknowledge the work of God. Here's another one. If Ron Fannin plants pumpkin seeds in his garden, what do you think will grow? Nothing. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Well, we know. Pumpkins, right? Well, you just ruined my illustration, Pastor. We know because we've seen it happen. And Pastor's seen some other outcomes. But do we ascribe that work 
to God. In Genesis 1.29, it says, And God said, Behold, I have given you every herb-bearing seed, which is upon the face of all the earth, and every tree in the which is the fruit of a tree-yielding seed. To you it shall be for meat. And you could go into a deep study here, and uh, you'd learn a lot about agriculture. How about one more? January begins the foaling season here in the bluegrass region. I love this time of year. Pastures are about to be filled with mares and foals. You know, the bluegrass region is a very unique region on planet Earth. It is considered by many to be a gigantic equine nursery. Major breeds in this area include thoroughbreds, standard breds, saddlebreds, quarter horses, Tennessee walkers, mountain horses, and there are others. Currently, 88 of the top 100 thoroughbred stallions in North America stand in this little five-county region of Kentucky. That's 88%. 41 of the top 50 stallions in North America and Europe stand in the bluegrass region. 82%. Truly is the thoroughbred horse capital of the world. But I want you to understand this. As you're driving up and down the roads and the pastures are full of these mares and new babies, what you will not see is a thoroughbred mare that has given birth to an Angus calf. You just won't see it. Genesis 1.24, God said, Let the earth bring forth the living creature after his kind, cattle and creeping thing and beast of the earth after his kind. And it was so, and God made the beast of the earth after his kind, and cattle after their kind, and everything that creepeth upon the earth after his kind, and God saw that it was good. Here you could launch into a study of genetics that would be fascinating. But how often do we ascribe the simple things of life to be the works of God? I see Men Young sitting over there. Jamie and Men Young sat across from Jerry and I at a dinner the other night, and I wasn't aware that that Min Young was going to have a baby. And uh, it was was a blessing to find that I love their family. Well, when she gives birth, I think it will be a baby. I'm quite sure it won't be a kitten or a puppy. You know, we, we need to ascribe the work of God that he deserves. And when we start to see the works of God all around us, God will become much more real in our own life, in our own mind. Because we can see that he's alive and he's at work. One last thought tonight. When you take time to read and understand the Bible, put yourself into the context of the passage. And perhaps... Read it maybe dramatically and consciously. 
because it will build your understanding. Here's a, a passage that caught my attention earlier this month. Jesus speaking to a group of unbelieving Jews and reminding them that John the Baptist had witnessed of Jesus as the Messiah and that God the Father had witnessed also. Jesus said to this group of unbelieving Jews, And the Father himself, which hath sent me, hath borne witness of me. Ye have neither heard his voice at any time, nor seen his shape. You know, to those unbelieving Jews, he was just like the Easter Bunny in Santa Claus. He says, and you have not his word abiding in you. For from, or from whom he hath sent, him you believe not. And then he says this, search the scriptures, for in them you think ye have eternal life. For they are those which testify of me. My friend, the Bible is where we get to know God. And we, we can't take a casual approach to the Bible and expect an intimate relationship with a holy God. You want to see the real Jesus? The real Jesus? Not the one of the imagination of the un unbelieving world. You can see the real Jesus in your Bible. You want your kids to see the real God of heaven? Teach them the Bible. Not books about the Bible or movies about the Bible. Teach them the Bible. Teach them to read the Bible. Teach them to study the Bible. This is the living word of God for us. I was just amazed at one of the songs that, that Zach had chosen for tonight. Nobody knew what I was going to be teaching on. But here's a passage I thought, this is a good reminder for us. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1. God, who at sundry times and in divers' manners, that is, in many ways, spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds, who, being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high, being made so much better than the angels, as he hath by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. Over and over in Scripture, and we don't have time to go there tonight, but over and over in Scripture, and it seems like it oftentimes comes when the people are in need of restoration or revival, the writer or the speaker rehearses the history of Israel. Look at Acts chapter 7 sometimes, and Stephen on the day when they stoned him to death. What cut to their heart was when Stephen reminded them of all the work that God had done on their behalf and then told him, you just crucified that God. They hated it, and they killed him. Second Peter chapter 2 I was going to read tonight. There were false prophets in those days, as there shall be false prophets in our days. 
And it's so discouraging to see what the false prophets have done to modern-day Christianity. But you, you can read that one chapter, and you can understand this. None of it has escaped the all-seeing eye of a righteous God. And judgment day is coming. I would encourage you to look at Psalm 73. Our missionary a couple weeks ago spoke from that passage. Put yourself in Psalm 73 this week and read it. We wonder why the lost world around us seems to be prospering and people are getting away with stuff and getting by. We just think they're getting away with it. But when you look at the work of God in a passage like that, you know what happens? Patience and comfort will come to your heart. The Bible is a powerful book. Let me just rehearse some of these tips we've talked about. Put a name on the lesson or the passage that you're studying. Ask yourself some questions. What can I learn to do or not to do? Or is there a command here or a principle here for me? Don't just read the passage, but consider carefully each thought. Before you start reading, remind yourself of who the main character is. It's God. Recognize and acknowledge the work of God in the passage. And then put yourself right into that context. And maybe read it dramatically. See if it doesn't change some things. I know one thing it'll change. Your hunger for the truth will go off the charts. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for the word of God tonight. It is so rich, and we love it. We thank you that we have the freedom to study it and to proclaim it. Help us to live it, Lord. We're fallen creatures in a fallen world that fail often. But we know that you are a merciful, loving God who has saved us by faith. not by our works. Our works would never, ever possibly satisfy your righteous demand. So as saved people, Lord, help us to glorify you. We thank you for this time in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you.